Hey there, podcast listener. I just wanted you to know that the John D. Sperry podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. With your Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime and anywhere. Download the free app onto smartphones, both Apple and Android. Listen across devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. I've been using Audible for about a decade now, and I couldn't be more satisfied. I love Audible. I've listened to audiobooks, dramas, podcasts. To get started with a one-month free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast. That gets you one month free, which includes a free book credit, two free Audible originals, and access to their massive library of resources. One more time, audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get started with Audible with that free month. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Today, we're taking a look at two chapters, two chapters that will mark the end of the first half of LAMP, the Link Access Manipulation Program. Join me after the reading of chapters 16 and 17, and we will discuss a little bit about how this almost became the end of the entire book. All right, we'll see you after. Chapter 16 An hour passed. Lydon sat next to Simic's body, where he had placed it as reverently as he could in the old man's bed. In his fingertips, he held the data chip Simic had given him like a fragile last piece of the old man's life. His thoughts were on death and the fear that comes with such a prospect. He felt like a coward because he wanted to run, to leave Zade, but he knew he couldn't. She was his only friend. He owed her so much more than he could ever repay. She was there for him when no one else was. He thought about what Simic had said, something about Ladin's father, a man of whom he held no memory. He thought about what his father must have been like, how Simic might have known him. He thought about his mother, what she must have been like, being a Tellarite on Earth. They weren't new thoughts, but they had been thoughts that lay dormant for a long time, until recent events forced them, once again, to the surface. The metallic side of the chip reflected the light outside. He had to do something. He had to act, to do the exact opposite of what he might otherwise do. He looked over at Simic's form, resting peacefully in death under the sheet he had placed over him. Simic was right. Lydon had to get Zade, 
and he had to use the lamp to do it, if he even had it. He also needed help, and there was only one person he could even remotely trust. He needed Kimber. The communicator was still in his pocket. He pulled it out and turned it on to see that there were three new messages waiting to be read. One was Kimber's address in the new Persia district of the city, a good hour-long walk. The other two were both verifying his existence. Had he seen the messages, and was he coming over? Perfect, he said drearily, as he threw the robe back over his shoulders, found his satchel, and headed for the dark and dangerous streets of Bag City. For the first time in his life, a girl wanted him to come by, and he actually had other things on his mind, like how to stay alive for another 24 hours. Kimber sat holding a cup of strong tea as she stared at the small data mod on the couch next to her. The boy whom she'd saved, the one posing as a member of the Malik family, the one accused of stealing from the Tellurides, the one with the magnificent blue eyes, still hadn't responded to her last three messages, and it was well past midnight. How much longer would she wait? Getting up from the couch, Kimber strode into the kitchen. Her apartment was small but nice. New Persia was the most upscale part of Bag City, a town with many problems if you were poor. Kimber was not poor. She may have chosen to walk out on her family, but they still threw their money at her out of guilt for the abuse she suffered, the neglect. She would take their money without a second thought, but she needed a way out of their grasp altogether. If her only hope was a young thief to get her what she needed, then she would take that chance. When the bell finally rang, Kimber nearly dropped her mug onto the tile floor of the kitchen. She rushed to the door, hoping it was him. At midnight, who else would it be? She also hoped her thin silk shorts and tank top wouldn't be too forward. She did like him, though she didn't know much about him, only that his name was not Malik, that it was Ladin Shahara of Bag City, and that he was a good enough thief to steal from the Tellurides. What he stole was still a mystery, but she would cross that bridge when she got to it. There was even a part of her that hoped she wouldn't simply need to use him for what he was, a means to an end. The screen near the door lit up green, and Ladin's image filled it. Where have you been? Kimber asked, and Ladin looked up into the camera. It's a long story, he said dejectedly, and Kimber wondered what was wrong. Can I come up? I need to use a data mod. Kimber stepped back from the screen and pressed the door release button to allow Ladin into the building. Opening the door to her dwelling, she went out to the fifth floor landing to greet her mysterious thief. When the lift doors opened, she did not see the same young man she had seen on the sublight ship to Pluto Station. She saw a little boy with tear stains down his cheeks, and a head hung low with the beaten look of an abused puppy. Come in here, she said, as she rushed to Ladin's side, draping an arm around his shoulders. Inside the dwelling, she led him to a chair in the kitchen and filled a clean mug with some of the same tea she had been drinking, and placed it in front of him. Are you all right? she asked, and Ladin looked up at her, placing both hands on the table. That's when she noticed the blood on his hands. Is that... Your blood? She said, rushing to his side, taking both his hands in hers. Lydon shook his head. No, it belongs to a, a friend of mine, he said, so forlornly that Kimber wondered what she had gotten herself into. Do you want to talk about it? She asked cautiously, and Lydon shook his head as he pulled his hands back under the table. Do you have a data mod I can use? He asked, still very defeated as he held up a small metallic data chip in his left hand. I'm supposed to see what's on this, he added, and Kimber looked curiously at the chip. 
Is that what you stole? She asked rather abruptly, and Lydon looked up at her with what Kimber translated as disgust. She cringed at her suddenness. It was a stupid thing to ask. No, this is from my friend. Is your friend all right? Kimber asked, afraid of the answer, afraid of what this boy might have brought to her door at her own behest. Lydon shook his head slowly. He's dead, Lydon said, and Kimber closed her eyes to take a steadying breath. Can I ask how? She said, and Lydon stood up from the chair, not making eye contact with Kimber. I just need to see a mod, and then I'll be out of your hair. If you don't have one, then I'm sorry I bothered you, he said with a new air of pained frustration, and Kimber felt the need to calm him down, to comfort him. He was a kid. His friend was dead. Kimber couldn't say she knew anything about his friend, but she knew about compassion and diplomacy, when to get something from someone who doesn't want to share it. Whoa, it's okay. I have a mod. You can use it. It's right here, Kimber said softly with a nurturing air about her. Let me go get it, she added as she went to the next room and retrieved the mod from the couch where she had left it. Here you go. Take all the time you need, she said, handing the device to Ladin, his blood-stained fingers taking it from her. Ladin stared at the mod for a moment before looking up. Do you think I could get some privacy for a bit? He asked, and Kimber's eyes shot a little wider. Uh, yeah, I guess. How, how about my study? There's a really comfy chair and a desk. Ladin nodded. Are you hungry? Thirsty? She asked, but Ladin shook his head. The room will be fine. Thank you, he said, his last two words showing a glimpse of the young man she met on the sublight ship. Kimber led Ladin into a room on the other side of the dwelling. It was small, but, as she had said, it was furnished with an overstuffed chair, a few bookcases filled with ornate knickknacks, and a desk that sat near a floor-to-ceiling window with a fantastic view of the new Persia district of the city. Kimber watched as Ladin pulled out the smaller, hard-backed chair from under the desk, placed the mod on the desk, and sat down. I'll just be in the other room, Kimber said, but Ladin didn't reply. She closed the door and left him to his data chip. She couldn't help but wonder if maybe it had the lamp on it. The data mod in his hands powered on and a familiar commercial interface popped up with a plethora of graphics and icons. Ladin punched in a few key commands and the chip file dialogs opened. When he accessed the contents folder, he found two separate files coded with two separate codecs. One was a data package, information that only a data processor could read. In this case, it was meant for a mecha, most likely Zade. The other was a standard video file meant for viewing. Ladin heaved a heavy burdened sigh and started the video playback. He felt his heart jump into his throat when Simic's face appeared on the data screen. He couldn't quell the tears when Simic started to speak directly to him. Ladin, you need to pay close attention to what I say, because it is both important and dangerous. First, you need to know that I've lived a lie at your expense for most of your life. There was a long pause and Simic's expression changed from contemplation to confusion to what almost looked like sadness. I am your grandfather, Ladin. Your father's father. I'm sorry I never told you. Ladin paused playback and stared at the screen as heavy tears poured down his face. He couldn't even manage a word of incredulity as he stared at the old man's familiar but slightly younger countenance. Ladin had no idea when the video was made. In an instinctual way, he felt betrayed. All those years, all that time, he stared at Simic's face and cried for the loss of not a friend, but now a grandfather and a life wasted not knowing. 
Why, Simic? Why didn't you tell me? Aladdin said as he shook his head and wept into his hands. At nearly five o'clock in the morning, Aladdin emerged silently from Kimber's small study with his satchel slung over his shoulder and two data chips snugged into his boot. The front room was dark and Kimber lay sleeping on a small couch that sat situated in the center of the room with an armchair on an adjacent side and a small table on the other side. Aladdin closed the door with every intention of leaving Kimber asleep and slipping out into the darkness of the early morning. What he wanted was to wake her up tell her about the lamp, and take her away to Karamina, never to be heard from again. But he couldn't do that, not with Malik and the Tellarides looking for him. He had to confront Malik. He had to get Zade back before he could even think about taking Kimber away anywhere. On a small piece of paper, he had written a note. I have to go help a friend. I really like you, but I have to leave the planet. I'll be back for you, if that's what you want. Ladin. It was short, sudden, and juvenile but he wanted to leave the door open for even the remotest possibility that maybe she would leave her life on Earth for a potentially better one with him. You miss 100% of the opportunities you never take, someone once said. He wasn't going to miss this one. As he laid the note down next to Kimber's delicate face, Ladin finally took notice of her without the breathing mask she had worn on the sublight ship. Even in an unconscious state, she was the most beautiful creature he had ever laid eyes on. It made his heart pang with desire for her, desire to be with her, he wanted to hold her, to brush the cascade of burgundy hair away from her face and kiss her perfect pink lips. He had never felt such feelings for anyone before, and it was difficult to ignore, but if he didn't get Zade back, he wouldn't be able to live with himself. The control panel near the door glowed light blue in the darkness as he reached out for the small button that would open the door and lead him out of the building, onto the streets of the new Persia district, and to the palace where Haslan Malik would be waiting for him. It was a plan that was only a few hours old, but it was the best option for Zade's safety and his own. If Kimber wanted to join him, he would have no objections. Where are you going? came Kimber's obvious but slightly groggy voice from the darkness of the main room. Ladin's finger hovered over the blue door actuator button where he had frozen. Light from a small lamp near the couch suddenly filled the room. Kimber was sitting up, her hair slightly matted from lying on it for a few hours, but nonetheless as appealingly gorgeous as ever. I'm, uh, I have to take care of some things. Help a friend. Kimber looked suddenly incensed. I was going to come back, Ladin quickly added. I mean, if that's okay. Kimber sat fully erect on the couch, ran her fingers a few times through her hair, then looked directly at Ladin. I think I deserve an explanation, she said, and Ladin returned a look of surprise. An explanation, Ladin replied. Yeah. An explanation as to why I helped you escape Telluride custody, why you came here hours after we got back on planet with blood on your hands, and an explanation as to what I get out of all of this? Ladin swallowed. She wasn't wrong. She had helped him escape custody, an incredibly dangerous chance for someone she barely knew. She had loaned him her mod, housed him all night, and hadn't asked any questions up till now. Maybe he did owe her an explanation. Okay, what do you want to know? Ladin said as he came back into the fuller light of the main room. Who are you really? She asked, and the question took Ladin by surprise. What do you mean? I mean, who are you? Where are you from? Just to send a few intergalactic subspace messages and come home. Did you cause the blackout? Why were you in custody? 
Her questions were not accusatory, but rather inquisitive. Based on the soft, sincere look in her bright and full green eyes, she seemed genuinely interested, as if Ladin's existence truly intrigued her. Ladin cleared his throat, then looked around for a chair, spotting the one adjacent to the couch on which Kimber sat. Can I sit down? Please, Kimber replied, and Ladin removed his satchel and took the seat. I'm a streetjacker, he said plainly. I steal for a living, at least I used to. He paused for a reaction, but Kimber only stared as if encouraging him to go on. Ladin ran a nervous hand through his hair. Have you ever heard of the lamp? he asked, and Kimber's eyes widened just a little as she focused on him. The magical software that grants wishes? The myth? Yeah, you've heard of it, Ladin replied. Well, I was sent to Pluto Station to steal it. But it's not real, Kimber added. It can't be. If it were, there's no way every Telluride could keep that kind of a secret from humans. I work with Tellurides every day. It's a story they all fantasize about. Humans, too. Well, you asked, so I'm telling you. It is real, and I was sent to steal it, Ladin said, and Kimber nodded politely, conceding that she had in fact asked, regardless of how ridiculous the answer was. Did you get it? Kimber asked, with a new and uncomfortable nonchalance that made Ladin look curiously at her. Don't you want to know who sent me? Ladin asked. I'm sure it was probably, I don't know, Sultan Malik, she replied with enough sarcasm that Ladin could see what was going on. You don't believe me, do you? Kimber stood up and shook her head, throwing her arms in the air as she walked around the back of the couch. No, I don't believe you, and frankly, it hurts my feelings that after I did so much for you that you'd lie to me. I liked you, Ladin. I saw something different in you. I guess I was wrong. Ladin stood up, his heart panging as he processed her last thought more than anything. I'm not lying to you, he said. It's true. Sultan Malik sent me to steal the lamp, and I got it. I got it, and that's why the Tellurides arrested me. But they don't know I have it. I don't think they even know it exists. If they don't know it exists, then where did you find it? Kimber asked, still very composed, but somewhat accusingly. It was buried deep inside their data stream. Their nets connected to their homeworld. Kimber shook her head, seemingly making the decision to go along with the game. Okay, then. What's with the blood on your hands? Lydon looked at the dried and blackening stains on his hands. It's Simic's blood. He's my fr- Grandfather. Lydon paused pensively. He was an old mecha builder. Malik had him killed tonight because he was looking for me. Lydon stared morosely into the empty space. Kimber walked over and put an arm around Lydon. I'm- so sorry, I, I didn't know. Ladin forced a weak, consoling smile. It's not your fault, he said, as he didn't fight Kimber's touch. In fact, he leaned into it until his cheek touched her hair, the scent of which was so sweet that it seemed almost impossible that someone could have such a pleasant odor. He was so used to the scent of gear oils and mecha parts that the smell of a girl was like a world he'd never before experienced. The only girl he'd ever really known was Zade. His mind froze. Zade. Malik had her, and Ladin was going to be late for his meeting. Look, Ladin said as he pulled away from Kimber's grasp and retrieved his satchel. Come with me. I'm leaving the planet going to Karamina. I don't know what you have here, but this planet is dead already, and as soon as I give Malik the lamp, it's just going to get worse. Wait, you're giving it to Malik? Kimber suddenly blurted out, and Ladin turned to face her. I thought you didn't believe it was real. Ladin said, and Kimber looked speechless for a moment. I, I didn't, but now I'm not so sure, she said with an apprehensive gaze. 
You seem so convinced that you have it. I do have it, and I'm getting rid of it and getting out of here as fast as I can. And I want you to come with me, Ladin said as he flung his satchel over his shoulder and turned toward the door. What do you say? Is he expecting you right now? Kimber asked of Malik. Ladin nodded. Yeah, and I'm going to be late if I don't leave soon. I'll be back here in a couple hours if you want to go, he said with desperate eyes. Kimber bit her lip as she seemed to be thinking over his request. Think about it. I'll be back. Why even give it to him then? Kimber asked, and Ladin froze at the door. What do you mean? If it's real, and you really do have it, then why even give it to him at all? Why not just leave? If it really does what they all say it does, and it grants wishes, why not just ask it to get you out of here, away from Malik and the Tellarides? Make it take you wherever they won't find you. Because I made a promise, and I can't go back on it. I have to get Zade. Your Mecca? Kimber asked sympathetically, and Ladin nodded. Can't you just build a new one? She asked tenderly, understanding just how sensitive the subject was, and Ladin shook his head. She's unique in a way that I can't remake, because I don't really even understand it. It's what's written into her core. There's something special about her. Kimber sighed. What if I could get her back for you? Then would you take it and leave? Lydon cocked his head and stared with perplexed confusion as Kimber, whose gaze seemed to confirm something he hadn't even considered up to that point. How could you do that? he asked, fearing the answer. But before she could answer, the sound of heavy footprints came stomping toward the door from out on the landing. Kimber's eyes shot wide. You need to hide right now, she said, and Lydon's heart rate skyrocketed as it simultaneously sank into oblivion. The door to the dwelling slid open, and Haslan Malik stood in the frame, filling the whole of it with his massive girth. Ladin stumbled backwards, colliding with Kimber's end table and falling to the ground. Malik crossed the threshold, followed by three of his secret security agents. Kimber ran up to the Sultan and placed each of her diminutive hands on his gigantic arms. Please don't hurt him, father, she pleaded, and Malik drew back with one massive hand and brought it back across her face striking her in the cheek, sending her flopping to the floor like a rag doll where she groaned, getting up to her hands and knees. Hey! Ladin shouted, and Malik turned his attention. Where is it? Malik asked as Ladin looked at Kimber, struggling to get back to her feet. Where's what? Ladin sneered, deliberately trying to provoke the Sultan. Pick him up! Malik ordered his agents, who moved in, two of them taking Ladin by the arms, lifting him almost completely to his feet. I don't have time for games, Malik said in an annoyed tone, then raised his hulking leather shod foot in the air, bringing it down like a jackhammer on Ladin's still outstretched left shinbone. A loud crack filled the room, followed by an exploding burst of pain that caused Ladin to scream out in high-pitched agony. No! Kimber yelled as she was finally back on her feet, but Malik's glare stopped her in her tracks as she massaged the side of her face with her own hand. Ladin cried where he hung in the arms of the SS agents as lightning coursed through his lower extremity. His lower leg hung limp at a shallow angle where there was no natural joint. Let him go, Malik said, and the agents unceremoniously dropped Ladin back to the floor, a new wave of pain erupting, and he howled again, heavy tears streaking his face. Kimber stared at him, tears of her own forming in her eyes. Now, Mr. Shahara, let's try this again. Where is the lamp? Ladin coughed as he reached for his fractured leg. I was coming to see you, he pleaded through the pain. I was coming. 
Yes, I believe you. I believe you were coming to meet me. But when Vizier notified me that your comm signal originated here, I became rather, he glared at Kimber, skeptical. The exchange between father and daughter went without notice to Ladin. So I decided I'd better come and get it from you just in case you got other ideas. He eyed Kimber again. Ladin gasped for breath as the pain of his leg subsided. I was coming. I just wanted Zade. Zade? Malik questioned with feigned ignorance. Oh, you're Mecca, he said with contempt. Yes, she's here. No need to worry. I've upheld my side of the bargain, Malik said, then signaled to his agents. The two men that had been holding Ladin both stepped past him out of the door and back onto the landing. When they returned, they held a heavy yellow crate, and Ladin's heart sank as a fresh set of tears welled in his eyes. He knew what always came back in those yellow crates. Now, where is it? Malik said for a final time. Ladin leaned his head back, trying to quell all the anguish and emotion he was feeling. Boot! It's in my right boot, he said in a defeated tone. Malik leaned over and pulled the tattered and dirty boot from Ladin's foot. It only took a second to find the small slice in the leather where Ladin had hidden the data chip. From his pocket, he quickly retrieved a data mod and inserted the chip. How does it work? he demanded. You just talk to it. Ladin said as he tried not to move a single muscle so as not to reignite the pain that had subsided into a dull throb in his left shin. Speak to me, Lamp, Malik demanded of his mod, and Ladin could tell by the wretched grin on Malik's face that it was working. Lamp, I want 20,000 shares of Telluride lithium stock delivered via discrete data transfer into my tertiary asset corporation account right now. Ladin opened his eyes and looked up at Malik towering over him. Malik's nefarious eyes grew bright as they tracked the information scrolling down the screen. Very good, he said, then slid the mod back into his pocket. Taking a step forward, he looked down at Ladin. This is your lucky day, Mr. Shahara. I'm going to give you exactly 24 hours to be out of this city for good. After that, there's no telling what might happen. I figure it's the least I can do for the boy who just made me the most powerful man in the galaxy. Malik bent down and leaned in close to Ladin's face. Don't make me do to you what I had to do to your mecha builder friend. He paused and smiled sadistically. I mean, your grandfather. Ladin wanted to hit him, kill him, but the pain of the slightest movement kept him still. He swore he didn't know anything. I guess he might have been telling the truth. Malik concluded with a chuckle, then stood back up. Ladin's blood boiled with hatred, and he gritted his teeth just to keep himself from saying anything stupid. Every muscle in his body clenched. He wished for a way to somehow end Hazlan Malik, but it was useless on so many levels. With as much pomp and circumstance as he arrived, Malik turned to leave, but halted for just a moment. Bring my daughter, he said, with what could only be described as disgust and contempt at the girl who helped Ladin escape Telerad custody. He then walked out of the dwelling, followed by one of his secret security. One of the two remaining agents walked over and took Kimber by the arm, but she shrugged him off with a sneer. I don't need an escort, she growled. Before reaching the door, she went over to a closet near the kitchen. All eyes followed her as she opened it and rummaged around for a moment. When she emerged, she was carrying a pressure cuff used for stabilizing broken limbs and a vial of painkiller. Here, take this, she said as she dropped to her knees next to Ladin. He looked up into her eyes. Across the right side of her face were Malik's fingerprints still imprinted in red on her cheek, a ring of blue and purple formed around her eye. 
He opened his mouth, and Kimber emptied a medicine flask into it. This is going to hurt a little, she said, as she slid the cuff under Ladin's leg. He cringed as she worked, but the pain medication was already doing its job. After a few seconds, the cuff was wrapped and his shin was stabilized. There was virtually no pain, but Ladin knew that wouldn't last long. Making sure everything was in order, Kimber looked into Ladin's eyes. I'm so sorry, Ladin. I'm sorry it had to happen this way, she said as she leaned closer to him. But you have to leave. Leave as fast as you can, Ladin. Like you said, things are not going to be pleasant here now. Come with me, Ladin whispered, but Kimber shook her head. It's too late for that, she said. Just get out of here and don't come back. Before Ladin could protest, she placed her soft lips on his, kissing away any fight he had left in him. That's enough, one of the agents finally said, pulling on Kimber's arm. With no time to say anything else, the agents pulled Kimber out the door, leaving Ladin alone with the yellow crate. Slowly, and in total defeat, Ladin hoisted himself up and leaned over the familiar yellow mecha crate and unfastened the latches on the front, throwing the lid of the crate open to see Zade's hair lying neatly over the top of her torso. Pulling himself up a little more to see inside the crate, he found that she had been folded neatly into a kneeling position inside. She was still whole, and Ladin sighed with relief. All he needed to do was turn her on and get her home, and there wasn't much time. Despite what Malik had said, Ladin knew he only had 16 hours to get her functioning and get her off the planet. It was going to be close. With relief, he lay his head back down on the hard tile floor of the dwelling to take a few deep breaths. She was a princess, Sade, he said to the lifeless robot in the box. She was a princess and she liked me. She would have come with me. He shook his head as he contemplated yet another failure in his life. It seemed his genius was limited only to his ability to manipulate data and code. He was a failure in all other respects, but he rested easy knowing that his one strength had given him a temporary advantage, one that Malik wouldn't be aware of for at least the next 16 hours. Chapter 17 The sun was making its exit into the night as Zare knelt at Simic's bedside and caressed the forehead of the man she called Father. She had spent the first hour after learning of Simic's fate draining the saline in her tear ducts, then blaming herself for his demise. Her emotional programming was marvelous, too marvelous for moments like these. Lydon watched from the doorway as she mourned in her mecha way. It was all part of her core that Simic tried to explain, but Lydon never really understood. She was more human than all other mechas because of it. In his search for Lydon's whereabouts or any information as to whether or not he returned with or without the lamp, Malik had ordered Zade's entire memory bank wiped clean. She didn't know why, it was never made clear to her, but because Simic was a genius, she was able to store all of her short-term memory in a digital ether drive that she could connect to wirelessly over any public net connection. Ladin simply had to access it. The rest of her memories were stored in her mysteriously coded core. Their reinstallation had taken much of the day as they were fragmented. In the end, Zade was even able to install the information from the chip Simic had given Ladin. Information such as Ladin's father's discovery of the lamp and the Telluride network. 
Malik's reasons for killing Ladin's parents, and Simic's decision to leave Ladin in the custody of the state rather than taking him as he fled Malik to Egypt. It was all there, and she fully understood every bit of it, which caused her to feel guilt that she had been, although unwittingly, part of the deception. She also felt sympathy for Ladin because she, too, had lost the only parent she had ever known. As he watched Zade, Ladin thought about his life and Simic's role in it. After the presumed accident that killed Ladin's parents, Simic rationalized that he had to get Ladin as far from harm as possible, which meant getting himself as far from Ladin as possible. He fled to Cairo for two years and created a new identity for himself, going to work doing what he did best, building mechas. As his name spread throughout the region as a native Egyptian mecha builder, he returned to Bag City to find Ladin. Finding his young grandson, now eight years old, in an orphanage, he realized he could never foster a familial relationship with the boy for fear of exposure, so he created a gift. Zade was a friend designed specifically for Ladin, sent each day to the orphanage during field time to befriend him. All of this new information was difficult for Ladin to take in all at once. Even Zade had a difficult time processing it. Because her short-term memories were preserved in her ether drive, when she rebooted, she was in an absolute panic about Malik's men beating Simic and felt the violation of her primary database being forcefully searched. Every pathway and data drive inside her was swept and analyzed as they looked for information she told them she didn't have. It took Ladin a good two minutes to get a word in to be able to show her the chip Malik was looking for, the data file Simic hadn't had a chance to reinstall. Zade. Ladin said softly as he hobbled into the room, his legs stabilized with Kimber's pressure cuff. She didn't move or look at him. He could see her torso rise and fall as her pulmonary pump simulated breathing. Zade, we need to talk. We need to get out of here tonight. Zade turned her head slightly. I know, she answered quietly as she once again covered Simic completely with the blanket Ladin had placed over him. Ladin limped toward his only remaining friend in the world and couldn't resist his own human impulse to embrace her, cradling her as she fell into it. I'm so sorry, Zade. This is all my fault, Ladin said softly. No, don't say that. This is not your fault. Father knew the risks. This was set in motion a long time ago. If he was willing to die for anyone, it would have always been you, Zade comforted. Ladin held his mechanized friend tightly. I loved him, Zade. I don't think I really understood it until now, but I loved him. Like a father. Like I love you. Zade scoffed gently. Ladin, I'm a machine. I don't care. I love you. You're my friend, my sister. I'm going to take care of you now, and we're getting off this rock. Tonight. Zade pulled away to look Ladin in the eyes. Technically, I'm your aunt, she said with a tender smile. Ladin couldn't suppress the laugh that came to him despite their shared misery. Okay, you're my aunt, but I'm serious. We're leaving tonight. How, Ladin? How are we leaving? You're hurt. We have no credits. Ladin reached painfully down to his left shoe. Sliding his fingers around the liner, he extracted a small chip, one that perfectly and exactly resembled the one he had given Malik. With this, Ladin said, a self-satisfied look on his face, with no further explanation, he hobbled back to the workshop that was still in disarray and rummaged around the tables until he found one of Simic's many data modules, one that hadn't been destroyed in the chaos. It was older, but it probably didn't matter. Malik has no idea that what he's got will expire before tomorrow morning, Ladin said as he slid the chip into the receiver port and powered up the device. Zare pulled up next to him and looked at the data mod in his hands. 
The screen was on, but blank. Genie, are you there? He said, his face glowing with the hue of the device's backlighting when six familiar words suddenly scrolled across the screen. Hello, Aladdin. What do you desire? So that was a really long-winded chapter followed by a really short chapter. I think these two chapters are actually the longest chapter in the book and the shortest chapter in the book. I'd have to go back and check, but I don't really think it's that close. Chapter 16 is really long because we're getting into a lot of serious detail here. And when I was in the writing process, this was really a crucial period. Okay, this is a crucial point because this is where you can get into this sort of chasing your tail element of storytelling. Um, I have found that in my, in my storytelling failings, um, when I fail the hardest is when I cannot get out of a cycle, um, where I keep my, my characters continually going around this cycle, continually making the same mistakes over and over and over and never really getting out and, and character growth, you know, you want your characters to grow. If you can't get them out of that cycle of making the same decisions, they're never going to grow. And that's, that's on you as the author that's on you to figure out how to get them out of this and here we are with Latin. um he is now faced with um he, his you know simic is now dead he has to go find zade and it'd be easy for him to just do what is natural and that's to run away and um in these two chapters we find out that he is going to man up he wants to go to to malik he wants to go turn in the lamp and while I was while I was writing this, there were a couple of things that kept getting in my way. As a writer, I don't. <laughs> I sometimes dread those moments that you know you have to write. Uh, I call them bridges, where you have a bridge between events. And to me, they're sort of like it's filler that gets you from point A to point B. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really important to get from point A to point B with these filler moments in the book. And they're not really subplot. Um, they are exactly that. They're, they're exactly what I said. They're a bridge. Um, but these bridges allow the character to, to progress, to advance, to grow. It allows the character to develop into a more dynamic character instead of this Ladin chasing his tail all the time, running from his problems. So that's what this Kimber chapter is. 
in chapter 16. And um, the Kimber chapter in chapter 16 is really important. It has to, these are the events that have to force Ladin out, force him away from his old life and to a new life. And we're going to get into that new life. Okay, so that's where we're at in the book. Now, these two chapters, these, these, uh, <laughs> the way chapter 17 sort of summarizes makes it feel like it's sort of the last chapter of the book. And it easily could have been. When I was writing this, I wasn't sure if I, I, I wasn't sure if I was writing a YA book or if I was writing a middle grade book. And if I was writing a middle grade book, this would have been perfect. It's about 40,000 to 50,000 words at this point. I think it's about 50,000 words at this point by the end of chapter 17. And that is a great stopping point for a middle grade book. But there was some of the, and so I'm like, okay, so is this book one? And then I, I create a book two, because you're going to find out that the second half of this book is, it's kind of different. It's quite different from the first half. Um, we're going to jump a little bit in time and I'm not going to ruin any of that for you, but I, I really had to sort of dig down. And, and I, I remember talking to my wife about this. I talked to some friends. I talked to Patrick. You guys have met Patrick before. I talked to Patrick about this and I, and I, I was like, okay, do I cut it off here? Do I make this the end of the book where you have this sort of hopeful event? It's like, Ooh, cliffhanger. You know, we've been filled in on a little bit of the backstory that we didn't know. And now we have this cliffhanger that Ladin has the lamp. Then what? Okay. So that easily could have been the end of book one, but I decided against that because I decided that I was not writing a middle grade book. Um, and this took a lot of deliberation because there's some mild adult content with, with regard to violence, um, in this book. Um, the, and, and I don't know how much that goes over into the, the YA realm, but I also wanted my word choice and my sentence structures to be much more YA and even adult. You might notice that I'm using in this, in these chapters, in these later chapters, I'm using a lot more compound sentences. I'm using a lot of commas. I'm using a lot of semicolons. I'm putting a lot of information in a single sentence because I want the reader to feel almost overloaded with information because this is what's happening with Latin. So as you're reading the page and you have these complex sentences, I want you to feel almost overwhelmed because Ladin is now feeling more overwhelmed. A lot is being dumped on him um, at this moment. And, and I'm not a fantastic writer. I know that I'm not, a, I'm not a great, uh, um, I'm not really great at mapping these things out, but I do know that I can get verbose and my verbosity, this ability to be verbose helps me out in a situation like this. So that is what was going on here. That's why I decided that this book was going to be YA and not middle grade. I wanted those complex sentence structures. Um, so it's pretty much as simple as that. Um, I didn't put any adult content in there. You know, I think uh, Aladdin wants to kiss Kimber and that's really it. That's uh, so there's no there's no adult content in here. Um, it does get a little violent uh, later in the book, but it's it's the structure of the writing. So. So that's where I'm at with that. This has been a long podcast already, so I'm going to cut this off really short. Remember, you can find my books on Amazon. 
Um, check out Audible, guys. You need to check out Audible. Audible is great. I keep listening to new books all the time. Actually, I keep listening to books I haven't read in a long time or haven't ever read, even though they might be older. So Audible is a great resource for all that stuff. Um, remember, you can go to audibletrial.com slash jdspodcast to get a free trial of Audible and uh, check it out. It's totally worth it. I've been using Audible for a long time and I love it. So with that, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at John D. Sperry. Remember, be good. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.